Trigger warning, this episode discusses suicide, depression, and self-harm. Both Breck and I find this topic extremely important, but if it's not for you, we hope you can join us next week for a lighter Coffee with the Cowgirls. But until then, remember, you are loved, you matter, and you are not alone. Good morning, Remy. Good morning, Breck. Take number two. Take number two, because the internet doesn't <laughs> like you. <laughs> it hates me. Um, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Copy with the Cowgirls. I'm Brett Kruger. And I'm Remy Greer. And we're going to talk about um, suicide, particularly in the ag industry today. Yes. Um, something that is both uh, close to Remy and I's hearts and something that we feel has been laid on our heart to talk about. Um Recap from last week. It's a much lighter subject than we're going to get into. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Um, Been hearing a lot of people that have been coming up to me in random places. The school, uh, some of my nephew's wedding, people I haven't seen for 20 years, telling me that they're listening to Coffee with the Cowgirls. So just want to give a shout out to everybody who um, has found us, is finding us, and is supporting us. So thank you for listening and learning and coming along with Remy and I on our journey. Um, Last week, first football game for Bronson, fifth grade. He's super excited. Unbeknownst to me, because I'm not a planner, we've got one tonight again. Um, Found that out at nine o'clock last night. (laughs) Uh, We had uh, Everyday Cowgirl Camp last week on Wednesday lot of fun as usual um it was all except for val bostrom it was all moms and daughters which we've never had before that's fun that was pretty cool Mm -hmm. and uh had my nephew's wedding on saturday so got to travel to iowa with the boys and see my family who we don't get to see very often uh so love seeing all the littles, my nieces and nephews, kids, actually my nieces, my nephews don't have any kids yet. Um, but yeah, always a good time. You? We had a show at the house, so um, got to win some classes with my son. That was fun. Um, and uh, he's just really come a long way. So it's, it's a lot of fun. My other son rode and rode pretty well. And then we... Um, had our annual ladies night, which is also a breast cancer. Uh, we donate money to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation and a shout out to Colton's Cutter Classics out of Arizona. He donates a pad every year for best use of pink. And if you um, follow JR Productions on Facebook, there will be a lot more pink pictures posted today. But everyone, all the all the ladies dress up in all sorts of pink and we give away a we give away something. This year it was a Colton Cutter's Classic pad to the best use of pink and they go all out. It's awesome. I don't go as far out as most people. I wore a flower crown and a pink shirt this year, but there was hot pink wigs. There was hairy boots. There was um, Jenny Christian uh, glittered uh, cheap straw hat. It was like completely covered in glitter. And she sent me a text message said she literally can't get it out of her house. So literally is my new favorite word. I did not know that you donated to um, breast cancer. I didn't realize that you 
did something in conjunction. I think that's awesome. I love things like that. Yeah, it's a it's a super it's a super fun night. It um, and we used to have a team roping that went along with it too. We just don't put on team ropings as much anymore, so we didn't have a team roping this year for it. I think that things like that are so much fun, and well, so if you're a person who goes to big shows, um, big shows are a lot of fun and opportunity to win lots of money. But there's a lot that comes along with a big show too. It's stressful and just it's not as laid back. So I appreciate things like what you just did because it's a laid back, fun time, have some cocktails, ride your horse, enjoy yeah. the best things in life. So yeah. I appreciate it was, that. And ladies' night is always fun. It's like if people bring they donate wine, um, whoever works the gate, it historically has been Jose, but this year it was my friend Ty. So whichever guy works the gate, whenever a pink thing falls off, they have to put it on. So by the end of the night, you have these like super manly guys wearing tutus and wigs and fairy wings. And it's amazing. So it's a good time. <laughs> so how does one lose a tutu while they're sitting on their uh, You know, it's a, <laughs> it's a lot. And sometimes there's a lot more drinking. A lot of times, too, is they put on these awesome costumes and then... <laughs> They get tired of wearing it, so they throw it off. But if it comes <laughs> off, the gate guy has to put it on. So it's, it's a tradition. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Well, um, last week, our topic of conversation was consistency, which it was a really good conversation, a really good reminder um, for me personally, because I feel like so much of the things that we do in our life revolves around consistency. Um, but it was during that conversation conversation that uh, it got brought up somehow, some way that September is National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Um, and it was both like a light bulb went on for both of us as we said it and we're talking about it, that that is something that we really wanted to highlight in the month of September. I think that we both feel like it's super important. Um, you know, both of us are extremely passionate about the agriculture industry. We're both passionate about helping others. And we're both passionate about the cowgirls who surround us. So talking about something like suicide, uh, it's something that a lot of people don't like to talk about it because it's uncomfortable. Uh, it's just not something that a lot of people shine light on. I think probably now they shine more light on it than they have in the past. But I think that there's a lot of power in people's stories. I think that people's stories can help get you through difficult times in your life, especially if you feel close to that person or you know that person or you listen or watch someone like us in we have stories that we can share. It helps somebody else get through a rough patch or a hard time or the darkness. So um, we're here today to shine a little light on the subject and to share our share our story to hopefully help somebody else. Yeah, I mean, so, I, the hardest part is thinking that you're is thinking that you're alone. So that's what we're here for, just in general, is to tell you that you are not alone. 
ever. And uh, we will link, so I will link some um, hotlines in the show notes below. But remember, you can always reach out to us via social media. Uh, we are not doctors, but we're always here to listen. So if you have any questions or thoughts, do not be afraid to reach out. You know, uh, Remy, talking about that, uh, you're not alone. I think when you get to the darkest point or spot in your life, um, well, you do feel alone and asking for help is so hard. And I don't even know where you start because you don't want to burden or lay your problems on someone else. So again, and I know it's like beating a dead horse. It doesn't matter who you surround yourself with. So I have made it blatantly clear on here that I suffer with depression. And a few years ago, I was ready to commit suicide. I had a gun in my car. I was by myself. And um, thankfully, because of my brother and then my mom, I didn't. But I was surrounded by a couple of people that could really reach out and help me, even though I didn't want the help. I was alone. I didn't. And the worst part for me is it wasn't just being alone. Um, I didn't think I had anything to offer anybody. Right. I had nothing left to do in my life. I Which time out, time out. You know, right there, Remy, like it's crazy to me because people, myself included, look at you and are like, Gosh, she's such a talented writer. She's a great mom of four boys. Um, she's got it going on. And you, we, the outside world thinks that about you. And you felt like you didn't have anything to offer. I felt like I had nothing to offer anybody. I was burnt out. I felt like a burden to everybody around me. I just had, I, that's what I literally felt like I had nothing to give. And so crazy. Um, I remember when I was talking to my dad, he was like afterwards and he goes, oh, well, you know, it, you have to think of all these things as a drip of water. It's just dripping on you and you have to be made of stone. And I thought about it and I was like, but dripping water erodes stone after enough time, you know, and it's for me, it wasn't like some big drastic thing that happened. It was too many years of carrying everybody else's burdens of not putting myself first at all and of letting all those negative thoughts just really invade my brain and not looking for other things. Now I understand that there's depression there too, but I mean, I, I did on the surface, you have everything, right? You have a good business, you have good friends, you have a good husband, you, you have great kids, you have a life everyone else wants to lead it does not matter. It really doesn't matter what you have because it, and it's not just depression. I mean, you see burnout in horse trainers and horse training is another part of agriculture that people don't think about. The joke about horse trainers is they live, it used to be cocaine, nicotine, and caffeine. Well, at least it's not cocaine anymore, but you know, that was the eighties. They lived on all of that, but it's true because you're doing everything to the best of your ability to take care of someone. And that's what agriculture is in general. You're, ranching cattle for people, you're running a dairy to, to feed people, you're farming to feed people or to give people clothing. And at some point you feel like it's just not enough and it will never be enough. People depend on you. People depend on you. And literally 24 seven. 
Yeah. And then to go back to how do you feel alone? Well, um, like I wrote a short story and I'll link it on our Facebook page, but it's true that like you have to, you have to, when you're in the darkness, you have to start to listen to the voices and the hands that will reach out for you because they're there. But when you're alone, they really have to push through. And that's why your circle is so important because they know when you're in trouble and nobody else does because you can smile. Breck left us again. I can hear her though. I hear you. Uh, you can smile and nod and do all the things, but the people that know you know that you're not okay and they're there, but you have to also be willing to help. And when you feel like that, you don't want their help either. Oh, just a second here, Remy. This dang internet. Okay. Now your face is frozen. Ah, it's just me. Um, when Brett comes back, we'll talk about it more. If you are feeling alone, though, you do need to reach out to people. You're not a burden. And um, that's hard for a lot of people to understand. And when you're in that hole, you really don't feel that way. But really try and keep friends around you that will check on you and make sure that you're okay. And again, you are not a burden to those people, no matter what your brain tells you. You're not a burden to your friends. You're not a burden to your family. You are worth being here. Dang it. I don't think it's a secret that um, agriculture is the leading occupation of suicide. And I looked it up too on women and women's rates are rising as well. And I think that it's, it's two different things, right? Well, it's well, the hard part with, with, with women in agriculture is first of all, their numbers are going to raise because they're now joining that workforce in higher and higher numbers not as the silent partner any longer, right? It's not the ranch wife any longer. It's now women running a beef business or a dairy or whatever. It's no longer just them and their husband. Now there's a lot of, um, you know, it's like the whole farm her movement, right? There's a lot more women that are moving forward and really stepping into it. I always laughed when you would go to a branding and, you know, these women wouldn't do a lot of stuff because they didn't want to show that they could do it in front of other women and other men because they're supposed to be in a certain position when you're like, well, who worked all these calves that got worked before we got here? Oh man, my husband, it's like, just own what you are. And that's a great thing. You're so strong, but you for, you know, for generations, they kind of hid out of the limelight. And uh, when you look at farm, no, I don't No, go on. Oh. You're good. I was just going to say, I didn't look at um, the numbers. I'm just saying women in general, like, I don't know, I'm sure that, I'm sure that you are right um, on the egg side because you are correct. There's more women entering that workforce and that field and they're owning the yeah. ranches and they're owning whatever section that they grew up in. So I do agree with that. No, and I, I think you see um, suicide raise, right. I, we talked about it, we've talked about it a lot though, but I think you see there's a goal for perfectionism in women and you're supposed to be able to do all the things, right? I you're wrote that to, down, Remy. That was where I was going to go next. Yeah. You're supposed to be able to work a full-time job and keep a perfect house and never be behind on the laundry and make all your kids sports teams and be crafty and do every single thing perfectly without failing and still be happy about it. Yeah. Now you would never ask anyone, you would never ask a man to do that. Honestly. <clears throat> 
because they're not supposed to have to have all those tasks. You're supposed to be your husband's helpmate. I was going to ask you, Remy, when you went through your dark period, was that like around one of your kids where your hormones might have changed or? I no. I wish I wish I could say it was just postpartum. I really wish I could say that. I didn't. I mean, I had minimal baby blues with all of mine. I think because I'd seen so many friends go through postpartum, I really had that. Um, it was always on my radar to be very cognizant of it. But no, it wasn't. I mean, but I do I do deal with depression in general, not just related to babies. And I laugh because I, I really wish I could write it off that way. Um, but I really do think a lot of it was giving everything I had to every person. And I had changed in my mentality because I like the stuff that I talk about now is how I'd been until my mid twenties, right? You have to care about other people, but what they think about you does not affect you. You don't deserve or need to know what people say about you. Like you have to do what's right. All the things I preach on here, I lived that way until about three years before I attempted suicide, right? I lived that way. And then I just, and I think part of it was becoming a mother and not about hormones. I learned to be, to absorb more people's problems. Because right? you'd I, never been at that point in your life before, correct? No, I've never no. been at that point. I'd never been at that point in my life before. So I, but I had changed in that as a mother, you open yourself to being even more empathetic and no longer just understanding people's problems. Now you shoulder them. You become their vessel to pour everything into. And we had a lot of stuff going on. I just ran too hard for too long. I did not take care of myself. And it doesn't happen quickly, right? It's not like you're happy one day and then the next, bam, it's there. It took years for me to get there. And it took years for me to get all the way out of it. You know, but um, I have to be very aware of what I feed my brain, who's around me, and what I let drag me down. Because if not, you'll end up in the same place. It's, it's, it's the hard part about depression and suicide is it's exhausting. It's exhausting to come out of it because every time you think that maybe you're going to break free, maybe this will be a good day, and it's not, or you don't feel good. And for me, it's not even that I feel bad. You feel nothing. Um, that right there, like, I, I mean, I don't, I've never been to that place, but I could see how quickly you could get to that place because I have felt that nothing feeling and that is not a great feeling. It's worse. It's actually worse than being sad because you're like, I have no, I I have nothing. I feel nothing. Like I'm just a skin suit. You don't want to do anything. No, you're just a skin suit walking around. Right. So, um, it's just, but, I, and so I had to learn how to, again, be empathetic without shouldering everyone's burden. And I have to do that by being a better friend, right? It, I have to do that by speaking my truth and talking about it and not hiding it. Because again, from the outside, everything was great. Everything was perfect. And it's not on anyone. It's not on my husband. It's not on my kids. It's solely on me. And for letting myself get there and smiling and nodding and pushing through it. And that goes back I to Agatha. Like this isn't to come out such a wrong way. So please don't anybody hold this against me. But I feel like it's important to say because, um, you know, 
suicide, depression, it affects everyone differently. But what I've learned is it's because this is a lot. Sorry, we're going to take a long way to this. But um, when I started Coffee with a Cowgirl or Coffee with a Cowgirl, and then I took a long break when I was in Arizona, the reason that I started it back up and found somebody to partner with me was because I had not just a couple, but several individual women reach out to me at much different points of time in their life, in my life, but in the time where I quit and they're like, they told me what a dark place they were in in their life about how they'd all contemplated suicide and how the conversations that they listened to on here put them in a better frame of mind and pulled them out of the darkness. And I was like blown away going back to where I originally started this conversation at is I feel like it's the most unsuspecting people. Yeah. And I don't want anybody to hold that against me because it's the people that I would have never in a million years thought any had that were suffering from depression or anything like that. Um, but wasn't it Robin Williams? Wasn't he, didn't Robin yeah. Williams commit suicide? He committed suicide and it's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people um, that you don't suspect because if you're high functioning at whatever you do, right. And you're successful, you're really good at masking whatever's wrong. You're good at masking anxiety. You're good at masking depression. You're good at masking whatever it is because the other thing, and this goes back to agriculture, this is like, this all ties back to agriculture. If you just work hard enough, if you just try hard enough, if you just do the steps, you'll see the way out. Well, that isn't always true, right? We go through the motions because you don't know how to do anything else. And you see it with farming and ranching. Okay, well, I'm losing money today, but what else am I supposed to do? If you're on a dairy, you can never quit milking cows because you got to pay off the feed and commodities bill, right? doesn't matter if you're getting paid pennies on the hour, you have to pay it off because if the machine stops, if it all stops, everything falls apart. And you know, that's go back a big burden. That. That's a big burden to carry. I want to go back to that, but I want to talk about Robin Williams first because Robin Williams was a funny guy, mm -hmm. right? Like big sense of humor. Now, did either one of us know him personally? No, but um, he would have been somebody that I would have never suspected, right? Because he was a big, funny guy that everybody loved and he had it all. But yeah, he was dealing with something that nobody else could see. So no. that it's, is what I'm learning through all of this. And I think that's part of the reason that you have to, and it's like, I tell you guys to practice kindness. I tell you to do all those things, but you also have to protect yourself, right? I was talking to someone this weekend and she was talking about something else. She goes, I know I'm not supposed to let the negative negativity in. I said, yeah, but you also have to be aware of true negativity, right? If someone is consistently a piece <laughs> of shit to you, you don't have to love them. You don't even have to be kind. You don't have to be mean. They just don't exist to you. And that's very hard for a lot of people. But that's how I have to, that's how I have to do it, right? If you don't add to my life, you just don't exist. Otherwise, I would be really bitter. And um, bitter doesn't look good on anybody. It especially doesn't age well on you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's the same thing. And so it's like, how do you protect your happiness and be kind and be loving 
and still deal with true things that affect your mental health. Well, for me, I have to practice like I, and we've talked about it before, right? The dichotomy of me loving someone that might not love me back. If I love you, I love you freely. I don't expect things from your love and I don't expect things for you. And when you stop expecting people to act a certain way, it makes your life a lot easier because the other thing is, and this goes, I'm circling back to your point. You never know what anyone's dealing with ever, right? You think everyone's got it perfect. They've got the perfect marriage and the perfect family and all these things. And they could be being abused behind closed doors. Someone be, could be using drugs behind closed doors, but the picture is perfect, right? They could be suffering with depression or severe anxiety, but from outside, it all looks perfect. And so you never know what anyone's going through. And even if they tell you, you can be empathetic, you still don't know what it's like, you know, but that still doesn't mean that you discount their story. But for me, for my mental health, like I treat everyone like maybe they're going through some stuff, but if they continue to treat me like shit, I'm good moving on, pretending they don't exist. <laughs> um, going back to our conversation about egg, I've been in the egg industry my whole life. A lot of people don't know this about me, but my dad, um, he was a livestock buyer and he primarily bought and sold sheep. Um, my whole childhood through high school, he did that. Lots of sheep. And <laughs> so I went to school for egg, uh, egg business, animal science. Um, it's been heavily ingrained. When I got out of college, I took a job with Lando Lakes right away. And I was placed in the number one dairy county in the state of Minnesota. Um, so the co-op that I worked for, that was their main business, was a dairy business. And at that time, you got to remember, that was almost 20 years ago. The, the county was made up of dairy farms that were probably, I mean, there wouldn't have been anything that would have been over 500. I think 500 would have been a really large dairy farm. Well, nowadays, the table and times have changed so much. I was laughing it, because like our smaller dairies are like 35 to 5,000 out here. Yeah. And it's not, well, it's not like that anymore. I mean, Stearns County in Minnesota is not the largest dairy county anymore. Um, but you really can't hardly survive. I don't know if you could really survive off of anything that's probably under 200 cows you could, but I, and not that I'm like totally ingrained in the dairy industry, but I, because I'm not, but I think it would be really hard just because of the expenses. And <coughs> I, because I have grown up in the egg industry and I've worked in the egg industry, I can see where some of those farmers would go down into the depths of the darkness because it is all they know. It is like raising kids. And those animals become their kids. They've taken care of them seven days a week, 365 days a year. And then all of a sudden, they can't make it anymore off of the numbers. And they can't afford to bring anybody else in because there's not enough money to support a partner or another worker. They're used to doing the work themselves they don't get to leave they haven't left for years Remy they haven't left the farm because they physically can't but that's the only life they know then when you say that you're going to take that life away from them 
I don't think they can see past it. They don't know what to do next. Um, and um, I mean, and a dairy is a perfect encapsulation of that. As ranchers, you get to leave a little bit more. Still not a lot, but you get to leave more, right? Is. Because, because if it's not calving season, you can go check your cows and kind of leave them be. Even if you're feeding cattle, you can. You don't have to be there in the same way that dairymen do, and you also don't have the same bills as dairymen. Like um, when you guys drive by a dairy and you see those big plastic things wrapped that silage cattle have to eat it. They have all that hay because it has to be chopped into the silage. They're growing, you know, and dairymen are growing a lot of their own feed, but it's huge bills and the machine can't stop because they're really playing a commodities market, hoping that, um, hoping that it comes true, right? That it comes big, but the co-ops now own every, you know, it's the same thing. You drive around here, it's Land Lakes that owns a lot of our dairies around here. And um, so yes, it's individual dairymen, right? It's individual dairymen that are running these dairies, but they don't own it anymore. You know, they don't own their whole product. They're just part of a co-op and there isn't a way out. And then you take it away from them. And that's why you see. Um, that's you... where I think the problem lies is when you take something away that that's the only, that's the only life they've ever known. And, and what and what's your way out? So in agriculture, and it's the same thing for me when I suffer with it, right? You're marked by how hard you can work, right? What I, how hard I work, that's the measure of who I am as a person, right? For ranchers and farmers and dairymen, that's the that's the mark of them as a man. How hard can they work? How much can they do? Because if they just work harder, if they just try harder, if this and this and this just happens, well, some of it's got nothing to do with you. And the hardest part about agriculture, it's dependent on the weather first and foremost, right? Um, because when you think about corn crops being destroyed, it's not just the corn that you're going to eat. It's the corn that's going into feed for cattle and pigs and chickens and all of it, right? Now, that's a whole, that's a whole landslide of things that could have gone wrong. Um, there's all these things that happen, and there is no way out. And most of these guys, even if they went to school, they still went to school for ag. They didn't find another way out. And then you have a population that thinks you're trying to poison them or kill them or make massive amounts of money. And you're like, I'm so far in debt, I can't make money. Like they talk about the debt, you know, the debt for farmers right now is like $23 billion because, and a lot of that, we, it seems like every time agriculture starts to get a good foothold, something goes wrong. So um, soy prices are down ridiculous amounts and all of that came from the Just trade. Just one board. second. I have a dog locked in a room and she's <laughs> freaking out. Life is happening. <laughs> oh my gosh, they're worse than children. <laughs> um, but you have soy exports and a lot of that happened with the tra China trade wars, right? We went into a trade war with China. Um, <clears throat> those guys were supposed to be guaranteed a certain amount of money on their crops and that's what people don't understand about agriculture, it's not like you plant it and then you you sell that crop and that's how you get your money. It's all done on something called futures, right? So they sold their soy and planted more soy depend, thinking that they were going to get X amount of money because you looked at the market. Well, then we got into the trade war with China and that dropped by like 75%. And then China owns, um, China owns debt in Canada differently than you can in the U.S., because corporations are technically seen as individuals in the US. So they just started buying all of their soy from Canada. Well, that hurt American farmers that had pulled out other crops 
in order to plant soy because they were looking at the futures. And the other thing about agriculture and why you see it, we'll talk about the numbers, right? It says, depending on what source you look at, it says agricultural suicide is one and a half, that you're either one and a half to three and a half times more likely to um, deal with suicide in agriculture compared to the general population. And part of the reason that those numbers are so varied is for years, um, a lot of these farmers and ranchers were hiding suicide as accidents to make sure that their family and the farm got paid on life insurance. So a guy that had never had an accident on a tractor all of a sudden has a combine explode with him on it or drives it into a, a river, um, turning off the emergency systems and silos and having corn dumped on top of them. These are all horrible ways to die. But um, trying to salvage their ranch and their family, they... And again, that even speaks worse. I mean, it even speaks harder for agriculture, right? Even at the end, they're trying to make everything okay for their family by making their death look like an accident rather than a suicide. Yeah, it is. Um, I don't know. I As much light as I don't think is being shown on the subject, I think that there's more light now more than ever so i'm very hopeful that people are getting the help that they need especially in this transitional time because i think that that is the main problem is they don't know how to transition to the next phase of their life that is yeah. hard and i think i think where people are under the misapprehension about again what your life looks like versus what it is so you see it on all the all the farming TikTok right now how like, oh my God, these guys have so much money because, you know, they're driving a $500,000 tractor. Well, it's just a payment every month and it's a payment and it's the cost of you doing business, right? You get to play with cattle. You're right. I, there is nothing better for me than finding calves hid out in the grass. The flip side of that is pulling calves that fall apart inside their mother or having coyotes kill them or dying because, you know, it went from 100 degrees to 60 degrees and then down to 30 there's a lot of death that's involved in agriculture. It's the same thing with farming. You can plant a whole crop and you have one bad freeze, and this is more for you in the Midwest because we don't deal with it in California, but you can have one bad freeze that now takes out your whole crop. You can have a freak blizzard, a atlas blizzard, that takes away generations of breeding. You could have the heat wave that went through the South that killed all those cattle. There's all these things that aren't in your control. And what happens is from the outside, they're like, oh, they should have put those cows in a barn. They should have turned those cattle out. There's no way out of those situations because you're not dealing with five head in your backyard, right? You're dealing with 10,000 head in a feedlot. You're dealing with 500 pairs in the middle of a deal where it shouldn't have snowed for three more months. But they don't think about that. And then you're the enemy and you're not. You're like, dude, I'm doing my best to take care of all of my animals and all of my crops and feed you and yes, make money. But like money's the third thing there. It's not even the first thing because with the dairies, they talk about it one out of every five years with ranching. They talk about it one out of every 10 years pays for your enterprise. And there are years. And I will tell you, there's years like where we rang the bell and it helped us build a lot of stuff. And there's other years where you're like, I'm not so sure that we're getting anything for Christmas. Okay, so it's feast and famine. And then they tell you, be smarter with your money. How am I supposed to be smarter? I'm feeding the machine, man. The other thing is uh, a lot of the farms that you see nowadays, because it's so expensive, I mean, it's not like 
you know, when you're little, what do you want to be? I want to be a farmer. Well, unless you're pretty much born into it these days, it's not happening because it's so expensive. The land is expensive. The equipment's expensive. It's generally a generational occupation. And there's a lot of pride that's involved with generational farming. And especially in some of the times where, oh, my dogs, you guys, I, does anybody want a dog? I'm ready to give some away. Um, uh, you know, when the prices are high or whatever's going on in the economy at the time, you don't ever want to be the generational farmer who puts the farm in a bad position. Or, you know, I, I shouldn't say you don't ever. Most people strive <coughs> for that because that's a hard hurdle mentally to overcome when the farm is upside down and you're at the helm of it. Well, and that's like when you read, um, when you read an ag, an ag literature, right? When they talk about the highest rate of suicide, pride is at the top, mm -hmm. right? You have pride in your family farm. You have pride in who you are as a person. You have pride in what you provide. And again, it's not enough. So how do you measure up when you've been marked by how hard you work and how productive you are? Because it's not enough, right? It's not enough. And um, there was an article I read a couple years ago, and I think there were sheep farmers. And the wife said, farmer, you are not the farm. But that's very hard when your whole identity is wrapped into that. Yeah, How do you say you're not farm? This is all I've done. This is all I've wanted to do. And for me, I mean, I come to it from the outside. Like I grew up in agriculture as far as training horses. That's what we grew up doing. But there was always a way out, right? You didn't have 500 head to feed. You had to take care of the animals. But if everything went wrong, you know, you could sell horses and walk away. But you can't do that with dairies. Not really. Even when they liquidate, you know, you hear these horror stories of guys that uh, got their milk rights bought out and their cows are now worth nothing. You know, you look at the mid 80s as far as when the beef prices dropped really low. Well, the beef prices dropped so low because there's the dairy buyout. They slaughtered. They killed almost every milking cow to keep milk prices high. Well, it killed the beef market. And all these things are contingent on each other that people don't realize. And the general public wants to eat. And I think that's why you you see such a disconnect between um, the ag industry and the general public because for years they've been demonized because you you look like you're making a lot of money. Well, you have to take all that money and keep moving forward. You don't just get to take your money and be like, oh, good, good, great yeah. year. Now I'm going to go do something else because we don't know. And generally, we love what we do. Like, I love cow. I love cow. And I love training horses, but it doesn't always pay you a lot of money. And then people want to treat you like an asshole and it's not so much fun. I, um, I don't think that we talked about this, but going back to the women side of things, women in general, um, I think that it's been ingrained in us. And I think that there's a little tiny piece in each and every one of us women who strive for perfection, a level of perfection in different pieces and parts of their life. And it could be perfection to be 
liked. It could be perfection to have a clean house, be a good mom, be the one who does all the running, the cooking, the cleaning, holding down a amazing job, whatever. I think that there's a little piece of all of us who looks for perfection in many different aspects of our lives. And I think that the perfection is draining. And I think that it causes us to go to the darkness and it causes a massive amount of burnout because the hard part, if you do all those things, right, if you're a mother, so if you make the dinners and you do the laundry and you make sure that they're fed and cleaned and to school on time and they have their, all their extracurriculars, that's not just enough, right? That's expected. That's just what's expected, right? Like those are three different jobs. They're all expected. And then you're supposed to be successful on top of that and take care of yourself and have a personal life. And you're like, I I can't do all the things all the time. And, you know, social media is a double-edged sword because it's great. It's opened up a lot of channels of communication about being a hot mess and it's okay to be a hot mess. I fully think it's okay to be a hot mess, like get on that train. But then you watch these other women and again, it's a curated image, but you know, they have the perfect house and perfect hair and they wake up at 4.30 and can do yoga and then make like perfect bento boxes for their kids' lunches and they're running, you know, a multi-million dollar empire and they're doing it all by themselves and they have sex with their husband eight days a week <laughs> and they're always perfect and that's what, you know. <laughs> oh, and I'm just God. like, choo-choo, all aboard, yeah. man. So you have to watch that. You have to remember that it's a curated image, but it makes you feel shitty sometimes that you can't do all of it. And again, you know, <laughs> try not to die. The level of expectation of mothers and wives and women in general just keeps getting raised higher. It's like, oh, you could do all so those. I... It's like, you could do all those oh, things, but let me add one more. There's not enough. Let me add another so thing for you. We had a conversation the other day privately about expectations of younger women like high school age and into college. And I think for our younger viewers, it's just as important because I see what society puts on you. I've been there. I don't think that I, when I was in high school in my twenties, I don't feel like I ever had that level of pressure or expectation that they do now. And I, feel terrible for them because it's a lot to, to bear because especially women more so than guys. I mean, I, you don't really ever hear anybody say, Oh, it's not expected for guys to get A's or be straight A students. I don't think it's just not something maybe as a parent, you expect that, but that's not really talked about. But for girls, I think it is expected for them to be at the top of their class or in the top percentage. I think it's expected of them to be really good in sports or extracurricular activities. I think it's expected of them to have a boyfriend at a young age and carry that relationship on. I think there is so much pressure and then it's, it's, um, again, it goes back to perfection, right? You're supposed to be smart and pretty and athletic and charming and 
and, 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 right? You're supposed to be all those things. Like, I think it starts at such a young age. Like now that we're having a conversation, I like, God, we put a lot of pressure. I mean, on our younger generation of women to be something that they're probably not even ready for or know at the time, right? No, they, so you don't, and it's, it's, even when you think about education, like if you think about how education has changed, right? Like if you look at the standards for kindergarten, even 10 years ago compared to today, just what they're having to do as far as reading and math and phonics, it keeps changing. So we're asking kids to do things younger. up. Right. Like they have to do yeah. same thing. You look, I like my favorite pictures. It's like me as a 10 year old versus 10 year olds today. And again, it's that curated perfect image. She's supposed to be cute and charming and, you know, but, but not too, but not too pretty, but not too charming. Like, and that's the hard part about being a woman is especially in the, okay. So in the ag industry, you cannot falter. If you're a woman, you are now the embodiment of every woman in your, in your field. Right. So if you fuck up, it's all women that fuck up. But if you're a guy, you are just a dipshit that fucked up. Those aren't the same things. Now, women don't get forgiven. They don't get given grace if they're in a male-dominated field because they should be better. So you have to be two times as good to be given half the credit in agriculture. And so that leads to burnout because you're like, I can do physically and mentally no more. But it still isn't good enough because I'm a girl. And um, again, if you're in the ag industry and you're a woman, now again, you're supposed to be pretty, but not so pretty that you distract the farmer, right? If you're a John Deere salesman, well, you have to be just the right side of pretty, right? Where they talk to you, but just manly enough that you're not a threat. And you're like, dude, if I want to wear what I want to wear and I'm going to talk to you about tractors, that's also not me. Like I turn it on. I know how to shift it. I'm not going <laughs> to fix it. Um but you know, like there's all these double standards for women and that adds to even more pressure, right? You're in a tough field and then you can't mess up. You can't do any of the, you know, you can't falter. And again, that's because it's a male dominated field. So you have to be more than, more than the best to even get part of the credit. Cause there's just no forgiveness for women in a male dominated field. So, um, the last week I had a conversation and with someone don't get me wrong i love small towns i live in a town of 200 i love my small town i could never ever 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 go back to where i was raised like not for me not happening i don't not that that little town never did anything for to me but i just absolutely despise it so anyhow with that being said and i think that it's because there's some and maybe this is every town and you just don't see it when you didn't grow up there. But I feel like there's some like level of a standard that they put on people. And that makes me crazy. So my conversation with this person, uh, she's a mom and she's got a daughter who's 20 something, super bright, uh, graduated from college, like entrepreneur spirit, uh, very creative super good girl. She's just got a light about her. And I've always thought highly of this, this girl. Her mom and dad did a really good job with her. She did a really good job with herself. <laughs> um, and having a conversation with her mom and I love her mother and 
but I think that it's because of the standards or expectation that the little small town puts on the people who grow up there. Her mother was like, I'm like, how is she doing? I can't wait to hear about her. And she started telling me, but before she told me, she almost apologized to me. And she's like, we're just doing things so backwards. And I was like, what are you doing backwards? And she said, well, um, she's working. Uh, she's living with her boyfriend out in South Dakota. They're working on this family owned property and, um, like living her best life because she loves cows and she's, she's doing it like a full-time gig work in the cattle ranch with her boyfriend. They're not engaged. And I just looked at her and I was like, Whoa, I think it's amazing. I don't apologize to me. And these people want you to apologize to them because she's not fitting into their cookie cutter lifestyle, but she will be better for it because she's getting out. She's seeing the world. She's doing what she loves. She's following her passion and her dreams. Just because she didn't take the same vehicle to get there. She didn't get married at a young age. She didn't stay in the tiny little town, which I'm, if you're doing that, that's awesome. And that's what you want to do. That's awesome. But I'm totally for going and exploring and seeing the countryside and not settling. I'd rather have you live with somebody and not settle down until you know that like, this is a person I cannot live the rest of my life without. That, I think it's, uh, so I grew up in the opposite, right? Like I was the first of my, one of the first of my friends to get married, definitely the first in my high school class and college classes to be married. Um, we grew up, I, I grew up in a, again, we comes back to a different mentality is that you should be all the things, you know, like you should go get your education. You should make sure because don't settle for anything. Now I got married young. I'm glad that I got married, but I think the other thing, and this is a generational deal. Women are getting to the point that there is no point in getting married, right? You don't have to have someone's last name to be happy, to have any of those things. And the other thing is, if you're smart about it and you really like doing something, why are you wasting money on a big wedding? I mean, I, my wedding wasn't a lot of fun. It was a giant party. But you're seeing women that are understanding how much value they have. And again, they're not going to be tied down to someone because maybe this feels right right now. And you see a lot of women that are in super long-term relationships that don't get married because they just don't need to. And you shouldn't have to apologize for that because you're a person in your own right. You're not who you marry. But you do, you run into that provincial mindset, like, oh, when are you going to get married? And then when you get married, when are you going to have kids? And then when you have a kid, when's your next kid coming? Like, those are, you like know, we're not supposed to define timeline. Yeah. And it's like, and the other thing too, is like, we're not supposed to ask how much money you make, but let me ask you about your reproduction. Like, how is that? Okay. That's worse. That's so invasive. Well, and then I'm, yeah. So like at the end of the day, like what we're saying is all of this stuff in these young women's women, women's <coughs> it, it can mentally drain you and pull you to the darkness. And I think it's important for people to recognize that like society is doing that to women. And just like you were saying on the flipping timeline, Remy, about we have to get married and then you buy the house and then you have the kids. 
Well, there's a lot of women who physically, they cannot have kids. And then society deems that as terrible and then shameful. And it's like, well, what the actual hell? I mean, you can't help it. Not everyone is the same. And this is going to sound very California, so buckle up. The more that women push against them, oh, that God. Mold, right? The more that women push against that mold, the more people try and, and push them back into it, right? If you're not okay with having kids, well, why not? Right? And you have to answer those questions. You don't ask a man why he doesn't want to have kids. And that's very true. Well, I'm right? talking about the women who just physically can't, you yeah, know? No, but, but I'm saying that. Like, that's none of your business. If she's not having kids, it doesn't matter why. Like, it does not matter why. I saw this thing, and it's sad and true. It said, the next time someone asks you when you're having kids, tell them you had a miscarriage, and they'll never ask you again. Okay, so I have to have trauma for you to not ask me why I'm having a child. And on the opposite, like, I popped out four boys. But even then, it's like, when are you going to try for a girl? I'm like, I almost died in the last one. I'm done. But it shouldn't matter. That should not matter. That is a personal choice. And it's not a choice that you would ask men. Why aren't you having kids, right? No, that's because it's not their prerogative. And if you're going to talk about biological imperatives, it should be a man's biological imperative just as much as it's a woman. And but the more you see women push against that, push against getting married, or getting married, push against doing specific gender roles. And new marriages aren't that way. Like, I... I talk about it a lot. I didn't change any of my kids' diapers for the first four weeks. James changed every diaper. I didn't do it. Right? Like, and that's the thing. not like that for me, folks. Okay, but like the wow from you. Dude, I popped a baby out. Get your shit together. And I didn't have to say that. He was like, he's that guy. But you'll see, like, I, and it's the same thing. I see things with guys where they're just like, you know, James will do something. And someone's like, oh, man, you're so lucky. I'm like, no. That's not the bare minimum requirement for my relationship. And I'm sad that it is for you. I have another friend because like I'm always doing laundry. Always. I have two washers and two dryers that are always going. And um, again, we live on a ranch and there's six of us. Uh, so that's why. I've got one washer and dryer and it's always going. Every time yeah. I'm talking to Rem, switching clothes, I... Yeah. And it's like, it's always going, laundry. but it's the same thing. I get it all done. And then like, there's like six baskets of clean clothes. So then we just dump them out on the bed and we fold them and we fold them while we're watching TV. And uh, the same thing, like the boys will say something like, Oh, I don't have this. And I'm like, well, you can help me fold laundry. Cause it is not my job to do everything and everything for you. Like be self-sufficient. But going back to my girlfriend, she goes, no, I don't do my husband's laundry. He can do his own laundry. And I was like, I like wow. her. Don't right. That's awesome. But at the same time, I'm like, I just divide up whites and colors and jeans and towels. So I'm not figuring out whose is what, like it's all going <laughs> in. But again, like, um, we always switch off cooking dinner. Like it's not my job to, it isn't. And I, this, that's what I'm saying. Like from the outside, this is going to sound so shitty, but it's not my job to do everything for everybody and then still have a full-time job. You want a perfectly kept house. You want everything done. You want dinner on the table by seven. Then I don't have another job. This will now be my job. But when we're in the truck until nine o'clock at night, trying to catch cows that got out, our house is going to look like a shit show. It's okay. Like, and you have to start to figure that out. If you just live with it long enough, it just doesn't even phase you anymore, Remy. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's just, it's a, there's just a lot, but you, 
you put a lot of pressure on yourself and I do too, right? Like I have to get this done. So then I stay up late doing some things and then I'm tired the next day. And now I just don't do them. Like, I'm like, oh, fuck mm-hmm. it. I'll just do laundry. I'll finish holding the laundry in the morning. I'll hit that dryer cycle one more time. So, well, Remy, I think that, uh, it's time to wrap it up here, but I appreciate you showing or telling your story today. Uh, like I said, I feel like there's so much power in the story and I think that it's helpful when somebody else sees it, somebody that they know or somebody that's close to them or somebody that they listen to every week has been where they are or has seen the darkness as well and was able to be pulled out. So um, thank you for sharing that story. Once again, we will share the hotline numbers um, in our show notes. If you have help, we are not doctors. If you need help, we're not doctors, like Remy said, but we are here to listen in a non-judgmental way and to help with whatever we can in whatever way we can. No, you have to remember that you're not alone. Um, there's no shame in being weak. There's no shame in being broken. There's no shame in um, there's no shame in anything. And that's a hard. That's the other thing that people have a really hard time with is that burden of shame. So if you let it out, if you let light into the darkness, the only way out of it is through it. So you have to recognize what you're dealing with and be okay with. Be okay with not everyone being able to understand the darkness and them maybe judging you, but find find professional help, find very good friends, and um, make sure that you know that you are loved and you are important and you are meant to be here. So make sure to catch us next week. We'll be back on Wednesday. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Um, be bold. Be brave. Be humble. Until next week, we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. If you or someone you love needs help, please feel free to reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 800-273-TALK. That's 800-273-8255.